0: This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. We're going to start today by
1: talking about how Luther discusses the subject of theology um, this was going to be a fairly brief thing we were going to talk about on Monday so I don't expect that it will take um, too long at least for me on my part but we can discuss um, as needs be um, however long we need to um, so we'll do this and this will be more now as kind of a summary or a kind of capstone of a lot of the discussion, where on Monday it would have been more of an introduction. So um, we'll be hearing a lot of the same things we've been hearing as we move through this, but I don't think that will be a bad thing. Um, When you talk about what the subject of theology is, it's basically asking, in other words, why do theology? What kind of a thing is theology? What does it mean for our lives? Um, why is it worth spending a week you know, to, f- to fly down to a new place or take time off from your job to come do this thing? What's driving it, and what import does it have uh, for our lives? Um, the Reformation broadly understood, and Luther specifically understood, theology as a sort of critical reflection that was interior to um, the mission of the church itself. Uh, and that mission particularly was one of proclamation. The formula that was sort of abundantly used around that time was lex orandi, lex credendi. Have you heard of this uh, phrase before? Yeah. It's a Latin phrase that just says, the law of prayer is the law of belief. So,
0: The law of prayer is the law of belief? Mm-hmm.
1: Basically, your 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 theology is in a, in a critical and reflexive relationship with how you pray before God, um, and I believe that Robert Jensen has sort of nailed this down correctly by saying that the Lutheran or the Reformational um, understanding of theology could be a kind of parody of this, where they say lex orandi, lex credendi. Um, For Luther, it is more a case of lex proclamandi, lex credendi. The law of proclamation is the law of belief um, because theology has to take for its shape and its rule um, the specific ways in which the gospel is a particular kind of discourse that is meant um, not for something other than being spoken to sinners. So theology has as its very rule and shape that it is meant to be given to others. Um, and of course for Luther, that doesn't deny the Lex orandi, Lex Credendi because um, you know, that, that's, just, that's not something he would leave behind um, because when you leave that behind, um, you sort of the church's mission of proclamation would slip from its object. So the Lex Arandi, Lex Pridendi has this. Um,
0: All right, say, say it again, Alex. Yeah. I can't quite understand what you're saying. Okay, I'll just write it. Okay.
1: Um,
0: Maybe I'm getting hard
1: of hearing. Well, and my voice isn't helping either right now.
0: Arandi. Okay.
1: Okay. <clears throat> so we'd say that for Luther and the reformers. Um, to remove theology from the, the work of proclamation would be to remove it from its very nature and goal, uh, but also to remove it from the life of prayer would be to take it away from its very object, um, which is the relationship between the human and God. Uh, and that is sort of <clears throat> the, the, the macro setting within which um Luther works out what the subject of theology is. What is so t- the credendi is exactly
0: what again? That
1: that's belief. The,
0: yeah. The creed.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. Can
0: you um, what was the person who sort of said lex proclamandi, lex credendi? You reference.
1: That was Robert Jensen. Robert Jensen. Yeah.
0: What,
1: what In, work kind of did you use that on? Um, systematic theology, the the first volume. I think that's even towards the beginning.
0: Uh, What's the connection between prayer and proclamation? Do you from the law of prayer to the law of proclamation?
1: It's kind of... It's hard to draw a straight line necessarily because they're both going into belief in, in terms of how these two formulas are um, construed. Um, so they both hold, hold a critical relationship to... Um, to belief. The thing about proclamation is it's driving forward what the role of belief or theology is, but prayer is always holding that work um, to its ecclesiological setting in addressing God um, as one worthy of prayer, praise, proclamation and all of these things. So for Luther, as you may or may not have read before, The simple question of what is to be proclaimed, what is the subject of theology, is just that the human being is someone who is accused and acquitted by God, and God is the one who accuses and acquits you. So, in other words, um, the subject of theology is just the sinning human being and the justifying God. Crucially, it's not one or the other but it's the and. It's that, it's that critical and that stands between and says these two things um, sit in relation. So the subject of theology is not just God as this discrete subject, but it's God in this particular way in relationship to the humans. Um, and everything relates to this more narrow definition. So Luther would say that whatever one seeks apart from this This relationship of sinning human and justifying God. To seek something apart from this is error and idle gossip in theology. (laughs) Because you you are moving out of the the realm of God revealed for us um, and the very scope of um, theology as being directed towards proclamation. Luther worked this out specifically in relationship to his interpretation of Psalm 51. Um, he was lecturing on Psalm 51 in, in 1532. Um, and what Psalm 51 caused him to do was to think about um, sin and grace, just quite, quite simply. Um, but where a lot of the tradition before him had sort of taken psalms like this in a um, more moral or philosophical bent, um, Luther turned here to speak of it simply theologically. Um, where sin and grace means to speak of the work of God's law on us and the address of God's promise to us. It's simply that accusing and killing and the comforting and life giving. So it's just, it's, it's unsurprising at this point, law gospel. That's what he would find there. Um, and interesting and, that a psalm, by its very nature, is a context of lex orandi, lex pretend. So, as the theology of lex proclamandi, lex credendi is being done, yeah. it's being done in the context of its yeah. around you. Yeah. Which is yeah. what you were saying. Well, yeah, that's the. I, I want to um, make sure that we remember that how does one do theology? It's in the midst of oratio. Yep.
0: Um, I'll say that again. I
1: it's, it, you know, on day one, we talked about oratio, meditatio, tentatio. A person who does theology is precisely one who is in the midst of prayer, always. Um, So Luther would never split the work of theology from that. He would just say if it's not driving towards proclamation, um, then it's become unmoored from its purpose. Um, It has slipped into what he says, error and idle gossip. It seems
0: to me that it is this... He's taking this uh, theology of glory mm. and morphing it into really the theology of the cross mm. in this discussion. Mm. Am I wrong or right?
1: I don't know. If you could you elaborate on that?
0: Well, I'm just saying that man uh, is all about himself. He's all about saving himself. He's all about being God. Mm-hmm. That is his glory. That is what his attempt is. And then conversely, Luther would say, yeah, but let me tell you, the cross changes all that. Mm-hmm. We see in the theology of the cross, this incredible uh, condescension by God Almighty into the humankind and this right. mystery is being revealed. Uh, and that seems to be what we're saying at all mm-hmm. at the same time, mm-hmm. I'm
1: not sure. Yeah, that, that sounds like you're, you're getting at it to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're if you're ever saying this sounds like it relates to the theology of the cross, for Luther, you're probably you're striking at something good. Yeah,
0: (laughs) you may not be point on, but you're getting close. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's good. Um, So, Psalm fifty-one for Luther, this this becomes this case of seeing David as the exemplary sinner um, who experiences God who justifies. This, especially verse four, is key. Um, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Um, So, as particularly Oswald Bayer points out, um, this relationship of sinful human and justifying God happens in the Word. It happens. Um, in the word of confession and in that word of forgiveness, um, such that God becomes known to us as the one who justifies, and we confess ourselves as the ones who are sinful before God. Um, you know, Bayer even makes this distinction where he says it's precisely the confession of our sin um, in all of its sort of radicalness where um, we become. Aware of our individuality before God, it's precisely in feeling the law um, where we become distinguished as the the sinful human being before God itself, or for Himself. Which I think is an is an interesting um, way of talking about the individuating work of confession. It's the naked human Mm -hmm. before the
2: naked God. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So, <clears throat> Which is stark. Yeah. You said the naked human before the naked God? That's a phrase out of buyer. Nudis, omnibus. I don't understand the naked God part. Well, that's a phrase that he's
2: developed within the hidden God. Yeah. The God okay. hidden it's also called the absolute God or the naked God. We had that yesterday. I sort of tracked that pretty close it's helpful yeah. to me. Yeah. That part of him, which is just God totally... God in himself, God to himself, um, I think it's the phrase of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Not that part where he condescends and fleshes himself and reduces himself, but God unbound, that if you look upon him, you die. Yeah. yeah. That God.
1: Yeah, because in Bayer specifically is really explicit on saying that this, this, this subject of theology works itself out in three discrete settings. Um, so it happens within God's hiddenness, as we've talked about. Which does nothing other than assault me. Um, and it, it even contradicts the gospel, as it were. Um, and then there is the way it works itself out within God's law, um, which is, accuses me of my sin. Um, and it does nothing other than to give me this death sentence that I am the sinner. And lastly, it works itself out in the gospel, in which God reveals himself that he is for me and has gone to the greatest depths. Um, of love to rescue me and redeem me from this sin I think one thing that I wonder about Byer's distinction of the three settings though is just that it's probably analytically helpful but in experience it's I think it would only be two settings Um, because to feel God and to understand his work on us in the law is nothing else to feel God's hiddenness if we we follow um, the way Luther works it out explicitly, for example, in bondage and the antinomian disputations, such that the real distinction here is between whether we feel God hidden or whether we feel God revealed, and that's the critical work of the preacher and of Christology. um, Because to find God um, outside of his word, as it says in Psalm 51.4, is only to find the naked, Mm -hmm. hidden God who assaults me, um, and that's where Luther likes to go back to the image of Jacob at the Jabbok River, um, the one who comes to you at first is unknown, and you don't know what he wants from you, um, and it turns into this sort of life and life and death struggle where the main hope is that you pin it down until he tells you, you know who he is. Um, But for the reading of that text, for Luther, it's crucial um, that Jesus Christ is the one who intervenes between the naked God um, and the naked human being. And he is the one that takes God absolutely shrouded in in his majesty and and makes him known as God to us. So it's the office of Jesus Christ to make God known and certain to us. it's a common thing we've been going back and back to and back to is that God is who God is in himself. He is absolute, powerful, justified, holy. Um, he's in His majesty, but He has to become all of these things to us in the Word. That's where we think about the way Luther uses the Lord's prayer. We know that you are these things in yourself, but we pray that you also be these things. For and in us, so we know that you are utterly holy in yourself. But that holiness in itself does nothing but slaughter me. Um, yeah, it does nothing that then reveal my unholiness and to contradict my very existence. Um, but we ask that you come, be this thing for us, and that is exactly what happens in Jesus Christ. Um, And that's what happens particularly in our response of faith where um, we do nothing other than declare God to be God. So from the Galatians commentary, you know it says faith is the creator of the deity. Not that we create God in himself, but that by faith God is created in us. Um, And you have to hedge that sentence by just remembering that that work is the work of God in us. It's not... um, the human work of faith to create God in oneself, but it is solely God's work of grace in us.
0: So is that any connection with the Imago Day? Or should we say that or not?
1: Um, I'm sure you could find a way to connect it. <laughs> that, that's not the, the move that Luther or Lutherans tend to make okay. explicitly or in, in a strong way other than just saying, um, we are in the image of God as those who hear the word spoken to us.
2: Bayer makes a move similar, or approaching that. Mm-hmm. You know, Mago Dei is a phrase that I'm familiar that he's really keen on, but he circles back <clears throat> in this and, in the sinning God and the justifying, or the sinning human and the justifying God, mm-hmm. that God then justifies ex nihilo just as he creates ex nihilo. Mm-hmm. So then he has creation and Eschatology also encapsulated Mm. in justification, which then again is the doctrine upon which the church and therefore all the cosmos, I think he makes that move, stands and falls. That the justifying God is the one, the act of justification is an act of creation. Um, yeah, because
0: at, at creation okay. we like the world were formless and void, and we had no shape, and and it has to be the creative God that shapes us. This, I think the early reformers made those comments. I read that somewhere, but uh, um, it's in creation that they saw the recreated man, the new rising out of the slime, basically in creation. Hmm.
1: That's a vivid image. (laughs) Yeah, Um, And it's a good point, just returning to what we talked about a little bit and looking at Luther's small catechism in the first article and the way he uses that justification language to describe the work of creation, which also points forward to the work of... um, justification is nothing other than the work of creation so if you particularly think about uh, Romans you know 417 God is the one that calls into existence the things that do not exist he's the one who justifies the ungodly and to do th- those two things are the same work in other words mm.
2: uh, yeah. The justify human does not exist mm. until mm. God speaks good such yeah,
1: yeah and that's the the great thing I think about this talk about faith as the creator of the deity um, is that God is not the creator of the deity he's not the deity for us until he creates himself in us like that uh, which is more of a riff on Luther's words than precisely how he would say it but um, God is God in himself and God is God for us and he makes all the moves um So, just to quote Luther, he would say, God does not deal with us, nor has he ever dealt with us otherwise than through the word of promise. We in turn cannot deal with God otherwise than through faith in his word of promise. Um, And so for him, theology is nothing else than focusing on those acts of speech and dialogue um, between the sinning human and the justifying God. Uh, it's, it's, It's... Norming and appropriately phrasing the way in which we can speak about how God kills us and makes alive makes us alive, so it's always
0: that's what theology is
1: yeah it's, 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 it's driving towards those getting those those acts of speech as correct as we can so that they can be used in teaching, preaching, pastoral care, counseling and so forth um, And that ultimately is where that idea of lex proclamandi, lex credendi comes in, is that um, if we're moving outside of what is useful for proclamation, then we're moving outside of what is useful um, for belief, as it were. But what is useful for belief will be utterly useful for proclamation because it is the thing that delivers God to people. In essence,
0: that's what he's saying. You have to preach Christ. Mm-hmm. As you preach, as you proclaim the word of God, you yeah. teach the word of God. You have to proclaim Christ. You always are coming back to Christ. Mm-hmm. Would you say that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's sort of that idea of um, Paul in First Corinthians that I've decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Um, and we've, we've talked about this order about this distinction between first and second order discourse a handful of times and theology the subject of theology is ultimately relevant to that distinction um, we're here so that we can think about and make sure that we are appropriately speaking those statements of second order discourse um, we want to get it right when we talk about how we are sinful how God justifies and how those two things are put in relationship but ultimately um, the nature of theology as defined by Luther always shapes our theological thinking towards proclamation it's, towards, it's going towards that first order discourse um, and specifically it's in applying the preposition it's in, it's in moving these statements of the sinning God Oh, that's, whoa, sorry, that's a bad slip. Yeah. Um, the sinning human and the justifying God, the justifying God is for you. So the work of the, the theologian throughout the week does nothing else than give shape to and content for the work of the preacher on Sunday.
0: I'm just trying to connect the dots here. How does the guy in mm-hmm. pew? Mm-hmm the guy that's the doctor, the guy that's the lawyer, the guy that's the worker, how does he proclaim the gospel like you're talking about hmm. on a daily basis? Is that what you're, are you getting to that point or are you just talking about the guy in the pulpit?
1: Right now I'm primarily talking about the guy in the pulpit okay. but I think the, the work of the guy in the pulpit would be the thing that gives that word to
0: the that guy. guy. Courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.